You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please feel free to contact us by visiting our website, harvestoakville.ca. Yeah, see that? A story of rejoicing. All in favor of some joy today? In favor? Three! That's amazing! Well, the three of us are going to have a good time then, all right? Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. It's where we are, and it's a story today indeed of rejoicing. We are going through our series in the parables. Of, are there really only three people that want joy in their lives? Man, i got to pray for you! i got to pray for you! That's crazy to me, you know? Is it too cold outside? It's frozen our hearts? I don't know. No. Obviously, you just didn't get what I was asking. I'm hoping we're all looking for some joy in the Lord, because without Him, man, we're toast. Anyways, anyways, we are in this series in the Gospel of Luke, looking at the parables of Luke, but uniquely looking at um, the parables that only occur within the Gospel of Luke. So each week, it's kind of a surprise of where we're going to be. And we find ourselves today in Luke chapter 15, again, a story of rejoicing. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, joy is the serious business of heaven. That's pretty cool. And that's very true as we're going to see today. Joy is the serious business of heaven. But make sure you know this. Heaven's not trying to hoard the joy. Heaven's not saying, oh, it's mine, it's mine, you can't have it. Heaven's like, I want as many people as possible to know the joy that we have and the joy of God that would become the joy of us. Here's really what we're trying to do today, and here's where we're going. It's a bit of a wordy phrase, but I hope you will listen carefully and and understand how impactful this little phrase is as we look at parables in Luke today. It's this. I want you to think about this. Heaven's joy is God's joy becoming our joy. Let me say it again. Heaven's joy is when God's joy becomes our joy. Let me put it another way because some of you are like, what? Let me do this. The joy of heaven, heaven's greatest joy, is when the joy of God becomes the joy in us. Heaven is so fired up when heaven sees the joy that is known to God becomes the joy that is found within the children of God. So again, joy is the serious business of heaven. And that being said, heaven is on a mission of to find God's joy in us. More specifically, Jesus Christ is on a mission. He is on a mission with his gospel to see his Father's joy, his joy, the Spirit of God's joy, to be planted and found as the fruit of our lives. Jesus said in John 15, Jesus said in the context of him, uh, his words abiding in us and, and us abiding in him, he says, these things I have spoken to you. This is amazing. Listen, listen. That my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Wow, wow. So Jesus says, the reason I have come to teach the words of my Father, to instruct you in the way of life, is ultimately that you might know my joy and that the joy that you have for me in you may be full. Jesus is looking to share his joy with us. Jesus wants to see his joy be rooted in us. And what we see today is the Savior will stop at nothing to see that this happens. The Savior will stop at nothing in placing his gospel in his children that his joy might be seen. 
He will call for you. He will search for you. He will persevere in this. He will find you and he will allow you to know his joy. He's looking to do that again today. And here's what's also amazing from our text today. When he does find us and when he saves us, listen, joy erupts. Joy erupts in us, but even better, we see in God's word today, joy erupts in heaven Joy erupts in the Father himself. Joy erupts in the angels. When the Father saves a lost son or daughter, he says, come here, come here. There's a party happening. My child was lost but now is found. And the heavens reverberate with the joy of the glory of God. That, loved ones, is absolutely amazing. So our application today, really from the parable of the lost sheep, And the parable of the lost coin today, our application then is this. If joy is the serious business of heaven, let's give heaven our business. Amen? If joy is the serious business of heaven, man, sign me up. Let's give heaven then some of our business. Now, we're going to pray because because we believe in prayer. I believe in prayer. Do you believe in prayer? Okay, okay. So that being said then, so often pastor prays. Pastor prays and the people listen and, and, and not that you fall asleep or something like that, but... Here's what I wanted, just thought, Lord, led me to do this this week, is, is I'm about to pray. Um, what would happen if every person in this room, genuinely saved in Jesus Christ, genuinely agreed with this prayer? What if all of us together in the unity found in Christ, what if we prayed right now, God, would you take Would you take your word and explode it with joy in our hearts? What if the hundreds of people, whether in here or outside, wherever else, you agreed with this prayer? And what if we prayed together, Lord, would you take light and shine in this place that darkness flees? God, would you take the glory of your gospel and for people who are sitting here discouraged right now, that they might know supernaturally the encouragement of Jesus Christ. What if we all together, what if we all together decided right now to say, I am going to wholeheartedly and sincerely believe in prayer and we're going to ask that you deliver us from evil and you cause us to know and you will find us and you will save us and you will cause us to know you're done. What if we all prayed this way right now to the Lord? I think... I think God will use that, do you? So, so, so let's do that then. As I pray, you, you agree with me. And maybe there's some people in here right now with the wrong intentions. Maybe the Lord will work in such a way that their intentions will be changed to right intentions by the end of our time together in word. Wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be so glorious? So all that to say, we pray not just because we're supposed to. We pray because we have to. And God uses that. So I'm going to pray and I just ask right now, Lord, the family of God is agreeing. The family of God in this place, the bride of Christ, is, is joining in this plea to you and this petition. Lord, as the psalmist says, that we will be vindicated by the presence of God. I pray your presence would dwell with us. Oh, God, I pray that you would grant freedom. I think of the individuals here right now, Lord, who are fighting to get through another day. Lord, how cold it is outside, and yet how often how cold our hearts can become too. And there's fear, Lord, and again, great discouragement. And wondering, Lord, how is this going to happen? How will I get? I just pray in the name of Jesus Christ as we agree together. May light shine so powerfully, oh Lord. May hope be found. May your word speak so clearly, God. And you will be searching for people today. You will be searching through your word to grab hold of hearts. And you will be calling people to yourself, Lord, just as you've done this weekend already. And I pray that might be so. We agree in the name of Jesus Christ. Light shine in darkness. Hope, Lord, take away fear. I pray love would replace hate. 
Oh God, I ask that you would do what only you can do. Together we pray this, Lord. You would, you would be inclined to hear our prayer, Lord. As the psalmist please over and over again, Oh God, hear my prayer and respond to this plea. Would you do that, Lord? Hundreds and hundreds of your people right now seeking you in this way. Surely, Lord, you will act. Surely, God, you will relent because you are a kind and good father. You are so generous and so loving. Surely, oh Lord, you will meet with us now and work in our midst. The time is short, and even this time right now, oh Lord, is relatively so brief. But I pray you would use it to the maximum fruit of your glory. Today's a story of rejoicing, and I pray we would know that joy. I pray we would feel that joy. Oh God, you hear this prayer and use it then, Lord, use it. You hear the prayers of your children and you love us, Lord. And so may we see this now. May we see this now and know this now. And dare I ask, Lord, may we feel this now. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen, church? Amen. Thank you for agreeing. Luke 15, verse 1, says this. Now, this is a passage of joy. The first two verses, not so much. At least one of the verses, there's not so much joy. But we're going to see how this is a passage of so much joy. Verse 1. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus, him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, not so much joy there, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them a parable. Which said this, What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he, the shepherd, has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. Living the text, just imagine the shepherd doing that. The lamb on his shoulders, he is fired up with joy. And when he comes home, he calls together friends and neighbors saying, Come on, come here, come here, come here. Rejoice with me. For I have found my sheep that was lost. And here's the point of Jesus' parable. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents and over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And then in verse 8, Or what woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and seek diligently, here's a phrase said in both parables, until she finds it relentlessly searching for what was lost. Verse 9, And when she found it, calls together friends and neighbors, Come here, come here, come here. Rejoice with me. Rejoice with me. I have found the coin that was lost. Here's the point of a parable in verse 10. Just so, Jesus says, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. But again, look at, at the first two verses Again, first, because this is our context right here. This is such an important point. And before we get to the positive aspects of joy, we need to start with the negative. At least half of it is negative. Look at verse 1 again. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Again, here's our context Here's our first point. It's negative, but we have to see it before we move on. When it comes to joy, notice this. Religious, self-righteous pride is a killjoy. And the question of that is, um, is that me? Is there any of that in me? We're going to learn right now that religious, self-righteous pride kills joy in our lives. Is there any of that within me? I've always loved Psalm 16 that says, in your presence there is fullness of joy at your right hand pleasures 
forevermore. In the presence of God, what happens? When we come into the presence of God and we know it, the presence of God is amazing. Because the presence of God, we are aware of God's mercy. In the presence of God, we are aware of God's grace, undeserving to us. In the presence of God, we see his beauty, we know his glory, we sense his love. In the presence of God, we are overwhelmed at the grace and the goodness of God. In the presence of God, there is a profound and supernatural joy because there's nothing like being in the presence of God. This is what happens when he shows up. We know joy. Some of you have never really known the presence of God. Beg God to show you there is nothing like it. When you taste and see that the Lord is good, everything else in the world tastes like dirt. Because nothing compares to the glory of Jesus Christ. We long for his presence. We long for his Holy Spirit to fill us. We long to know his joy. Because when you have the satisfaction of Jesus Christ in your life and his joy, again, nothing else comes close. And this is what we want. This is what we pray for. This is what we need within our lives. Please, God, may it, may it happen. Again, notice in verse 1 then, notice the tax collectors and sinners, it says, were all drawing near to hear him. And here we find the, the despised of society. Tax collectors were seen as worse than the Gentiles or the heathen. Jewish people hated, they loathed tax collectors, could not stand them, would not go near them. And then we see sinners in the text. Sinners are prostitutes and the like. Again, people who are despised in society. But notice this, that all the tax collectors and sinners, they were all drawing near, in this context, to hear Christ, not to touch Christ, not to be healed by Christ, to hear the truth of Jesus Christ. The message he was sending was a message that was drawing them near. I want you to notice, too, in our context, look at the passage that precedes Luke 15. You will see there in Luke 14, verses 25 to 33, it's the passage on the cost of discipleship. This is what Jesus is preaching on. If you don't take up your cross, you don't follow me, you're not worthy of me, he ends with, if you don't renounce all that you have, you cannot be my disciple. Last time I checked, that's pretty hard truth. That's hard truth. And yet, because Jesus is full of grace and truth, not compromising on truth, loved ones, not compromising on truth, full of grace and truth, even still, all the despised in society and the lowly long to be near him. And here's what we find out is when the lowly draw near, listen to this, the closer they get to Jesus, the more they hear. And the more they truly hear him, the more they're transformed. And the more they're transformed, listen, the more they know joy. They know the joy of Jesus Christ. What is the Bible telling us yet again? It is the humble, it is the broken that truly hear Christ, that draw near to Christ, that know the joy of Jesus Christ. God works within the poor in spirit. God works within the humble. God works within the broken, and the broken know his joy. Listen, listen, the humble and the broken... Love him. They love Jesus. The more humble we are, the more broken we are, the more love we will feel for Jesus Christ because the more in that moment we know he's all we got. Conversely, the pride, the pride in us, or the proud, 
They will not love Jesus because the proud look to self and they reject the Savior. And this is what happens within our text too. Standing at a distance now, standing at a distance both physically and spiritually, you have the Pharisees. But they're not filled with joy. Look at verse 2. It says they're grumbling. They're grumbling. They're murmuring. They're complaining. They're grumpy. They're bitter. Listen, they are joyless. Have you ever noticed in Scripture, the closest the Pharisees get to Jesus, the closer they get, the more miserable they become? The Pharisees are always portrayed as miserable men. They start off by being cynical of Jesus. It's amazing. They're so grumpy as Jesus. Who is this man? What is he talking about? Where does he get off saying these things? And inherently, the reason they don't like Jesus is because they want to be like Jesus in the sense they want his glory. They love themselves. They love their own pride. They love money. Jesus is threatening their kind of jurisdiction and their authority. And so they don't like him. They go from cynicism, though, and the closer they get to him, they start to despise him. They loathe him. The closer, the the further the Gospels go along, then they want to hurt him. Then they want to destroy him. Then they condemn him. In the end, they crucify him. The closer they get to Jesus, the more they hate him. That's what pride does, because they are saying who you are. You threaten us, and we want to be God. We want to be kings. We want the power, and we want the glory. And therefore, if you stand in our way, we hate you regardless of who you say you are. This is the devastating impact of pride and religion and self-righteousness within our lives. But it's a wonder to me. In two verses in Luke 15, you have one Savior and two groups of people who are vastly, vastly held apart. Think about this. Between the two groups of people, tax collectors and sinners and Pharisees, the Savior of the world is before them. The hope of all hurt is before them. The defeater of death stands before them and talks to them. And one group of people loves him and the other group of people loathe him. But what's astounding to me, and again, this is the awful nature of pride. The reason the Pharisees loathe Jesus Christ is because Jesus Christ loves sinners. They hate Jesus because Jesus loves. They can't stand the fact that Jesus has come to seek and to save the lost. The people they would never be seen with. The people that they do not respect and do not want. Because their ultimate complaint is, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Again, they hate because Jesus loves. How awful is that? But the Pharisees, they thought they were being religious. They thought they were being righteous because tax collectors and sinners were those of bad reputation. They were those outside the standards of the law to hang out with such people that was considered contamination and to eat with them, listen, was unthinkable to the Pharisees. And so filled with religion and judgment and self-righteousness and with hard-hearted pride, they condemn Jesus and they get, oh, so grumpy. Now there's so much here in these first two verses, loved ones, but let me guide you towards this truth. Religious, self-righteous pride will kill our joy. It's the Pharisees Jesus spoke of and said, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They have so much law in their heads, but it blocks the love from their hearts. It's like they have a valve at their neck where they have the information, but the valve gets closed and then the information cannot result in transformation. The Pharisees have a form of spiritual heart disease. 
Their arteries are clogged. The blood will not flow. And you cannot know the true joy of Jesus Christ without the blood of Jesus Christ. But self-righteousness says, I do not need the blood of Jesus Christ. Pride says, I do not need to be forgiven in Jesus Christ. Self-righteousness says, I'm good on my own. My works, my effort, my external means will get me into heaven, which is such and such a lie. It's the humble that say, I need the blood of Jesus Christ. I need the forgiveness. But again, the Pharisees have this form of spiritual heart disease. And therefore, pretty soon, they will have a heart attack and they will die. Because they will not receive that which can only be offered through the life that is found in Jesus Christ. Again, it's amazing to me. They are beside Christ, but do not know Christ. They look at Jesus and speak with Jesus, but they cannot see Jesus or hear Jesus. It's the pride that blinds them. It's the pride that kills their joy. The living water is literally flowing right beside them, but they would prefer a cup of mud instead. Every day there's the living water of Jesus Christ flowing. All they have to do is reach out and drink some, but they will not because they cannot see and they're too hard of heart. And again, they prefer the filthy cup of disgusting mud as opposed to the living water of Jesus Christ. They are so concerned with selves, they have no love for the lost. Again, they fail to recognize the very reason Jesus came. Luke 19 was to seek and to save the lost. Now, loved ones, let's be very, very careful. It's so easy for us to look at the Pharisees in verses 1 and 2 and be like, man, those guys were awful. I think what's so important for us to stop and to ask ourselves is, I, I believe there's a little bit of Pharisee in all of us. And our starting point right now is to say, if religious self-righteous pride kills joy, where is that in me? For some of us, it might be 2%. For some of us, it might be 50%. The wise question is to say, where's the Pharisee in me? Where's the Pharisee where I start relying on religion and self-righteousness and my own pride? And listen, it's killing the joy within my life too. Here's a good question. Why is it some of us have so little joy? Why is it some of us right now just find ourselves fighting its anger, misery, grumpiness? Why is that? Could it be that we're holding on to things outside of Jesus Christ? Could it be that we're relying on religion and our own self-righteousness? Could it be that we're just so stuck in our pride we will not let the love of Jesus Christ begin to trickle down and flow into our lives that we might start to be softened and broken and shed some tears of repentance and truly know the joy of our Savior Jesus Christ? Could it be? Where's the Pharisee in us? You know there are churches across this land that are on the verge of dying with 17, 19 people, 23 people in them. And they're so focused on, not all, not all, but some are so focused on legalism and religion and rules. They have this little group of people and no one else is effectively allowed to enter. And the moment someone does walk in, they are sent to the back, they are judged, they are held at a different standard. And really a sinner wouldn't dare darken the doors of these churches because the moment they do, all they get is judgment. That's not Jesus. That is not, some of you grew up in such a system. Some of you grew up in such a condemning, legalistic, harsh, truth-only, law-only environment. That's not Jesus. That's pharisaical, and it kills our joy. And did you ever notice within those such gatherings as they begin to die off because Jesus Christ left that church a long time ago? Have you ever noticed there's just not joy there? It's just rules and rules and rules and rules. And there's one ask communication after another because all it is is people condemning each other out of religious zeal for something Christ never even asked us to do. But it's easy to look at that kind of situation too, but now we have to look at ourselves. Where is religion killing my joy? Where is self-righteousness stealing my joy? Where is pride seeking to destroy my joy? 
Where's the love that we are to have for the lost? Because you have to understand, God's greatest joy in our text today is when he finds lost sinners and he saves them. Do we share the same joy? Do we share the same joy of what God feels for our lives in this way? And also we ask ourselves, because the Pharisees couldn't stand that Jesus was hanging out with those who were lowly. Do we have a heart for tax collectors and sinners? Here's a better question. Do we realize that we are tax collectors and sinners? Every person before Jesus Christ is dead, uh, the psalmist says, I have no good apart from you. And Romans chapter 3, Paul says, no one is righteous, no, not one. Romans also says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all see ourselves theologically as we truly are before Jesus Christ. We are all in desperate need and we are the tax collectors and sinners. And that's why Jesus Christ came to seek and save the lost. I have not come to save the righteous, but sinners who know they need repentance, Jesus says. Do we share that heart? Because if we share that heart and if we find joy in seeing those who are most despised and rejected save in Jesus Christ, then we share the joy of God. Which leads us to our second point then is this. Lost sinners found is God's joy. Question, is it mine? When lost sinners are found, it is such the joy of God. The question is, is it mine? So Jesus, what he does in response to the grumpy, joyless hearts of the Pharisees, he begins to tell them a parable to explain his joy. The story now of a lost sheep and the story of a lost coin. Now this would deeply resonate with the rural Jewish community who were listening again to, this, um, to these stories being told. The men would especially resonate with the story of the lost sheep and the women would especially resonate with the story of the lost coin. Here first is the story of the lost sheep. Verse 3, Luke 15 says, So he told them this parable, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lost one, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country, go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, and he comes home. Rejoice with me, friends and neighbors, for I have found my sheep that was lost. The story here is simple. The shepherd has a hundred sheep. One gets lost. He leaves the 99 in the open country. And the shepherd, notice, will search until he finds the sheep. Until he finds it, he will not stop looking. Once the sheep is found, he rejoices. He rejoices with friends and neighbors. He comes together. The shepherd will not stop until that one sheep is found. And then Jesus says, and what about the parable of the lost coin? It's probable here. That the coin that was lost from this woman was part of a headdress that was worn from women who were married. And it's possible here the coins in her headdress represented her life savings. So it's possible then that this woman had just misplaced or lost 10% of all that she owned. You can understand then the urgency of, I need to find this. Because this 10 coin headdress was valuable to her monetarily, but also symbolically as it related to her marriage. Notice in the parable of the lost coin. Notice in verse 8. If she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. So notice the diligence of her search. Lights the lamp in her small little home there. Sweeps the house with all the straw that would probably be on the ground. And notice she will not stop until she finds it. She will not stop until the coin is found. And when she does, she rejoices. There's the joy. Neighbors, friends, come, come. Rejoice with me. Rejoice with me. The coin that I have lost is now found. Loved ones, these parables have a ton of joy in them. 
They have a ton of joy. What's the point of these parables? The point of these parables is to point us to the love and the joy of God when one of his children is found and saved by the grace that is in Jesus Christ. Notice a few things about these parables. Notice the sheep and the coin are helpless on their own. They're helpless. They cannot save themselves. Many times throughout the history of this church, I've commented on how dumb sheep are. Let me just take a few more minutes to remind you again of the stupidity of sheep. As one commentator said this, he says, No creature strays more easily than a sheep. None is more heedless and none so incapable of finding its way back to the flock. The sheep will bleat for the flock and yet still run in the opposite direction. Dumb sheep. Sheep often wander into dangerous areas and get stuck. Why would they do that? Because they're dumb. Sheep have no thought of what's coming next, no thought of the future. They can't care for themselves. Even cattle don't require a shepherd, but a sheep inherently needs and longs for authority and guidance. Sheep are so helpless on their own, and that's why we are called sheep in Scripture over and over again. On our own, we're done. What about the coin? The coin being an inanimate object can only lie there on the ground, can do nothing until it is found. The coin is 100% helpless on their own. But hear this. Here's the power of the gospel from these stories. Hear the heart of God within these parables. Who's the one who does the searching for the coin and for the sheep and the coin representing us and the sheep representing us? Who's the one who does the searching? It is God. God is the one who diligently searches to find and to save those who are his. The sheep are incredibly valuable to the shepherd. The coin is incredibly valuable to the woman. Notice that. Listen, loved ones, God's children are eternally valuable to him. So much, though, that God searches for them until he finds them. Listen, he will not stop searching until he finds them. And this is so awesome. When he finds them, he He, God himself, erupts with joy and all of heaven joins him in a celebration and a party that reverberates through the heavens because one of his lost has now been found. This is the gospel. This is the glory of God upon your life. If you've truly been saved in Jesus Christ, listen, as the parable of the sheep says, the Lord goes out. He found you when you were helpless. You were stuck. You were done. He put you on his shoulders and he carried you back and he said, rejoice with me. Rejoice with me. My sheep was lost, but now it is found. And the angels celebrate and the heavens celebrate and the Lord himself rejoices over the fact, listen, that you were found. The woman, she loses her coin, she goes, she lights a lamp, she takes out her broom and she begins to sweep and she will sweep and sweep and sweep until the coin is found. In the same way, loved ones, in the same way, the Lord God Almighty, upon you and I, if we are saved in Jesus Christ, he took out his broom and he began to search for you. You just just think about this. For some of us, we heard the gospel for 15 years. For some of us, 25. For some of us, 40. For some of us, 60 years. And we would not receive the truth of Jesus Christ. And what did he do? He 
kept sweeping and he swept and he swept and he swept and he would not stop until he found you and he swept and he swept and you tried to run and you tried to reject it and you tried to go the other direction but he kept sweeping and eventually he found and he picked you up and he says rejoice with me, rejoice with me, rejoice with me my child has been found and the angels erupt and the heavens celebrate and the people respond because God's child was saved because he would not give up on you. What's amazing to me right now as God today continues to sweep and he has maybe even swept you into this place even in a wind chill of minus 30 or something. He has brought you into this place because he will not give up on you because he loves you. And for those who stray away from him, he continues to sweep and sweep and sweep and he will not stop until he finds those who are his. Why, why, why? Because he chose you before the foundation of the world. And he calls you, and he searches for you, and he sweeps for you, and he will find you. You can run, but you cannot hide for too long. You are done in the best way possible. And I want you to see this. When he finds you, he sets off a party in your name. And he rejoices, listen, over you. Over you. It's right here in the text. It is It is. It is undeniable what is being said here. If you are saved by grace in Jesus Christ, you must know what this means. Listen, you are a treasured possession and prize of Almighty God. You are. It's amazing how much we resist that. So many of us, because of our hurts and our backgrounds, God can't possibly see me this way. There's no way I deserve this. You don't deserve it. That's the whole point of the gospel. Either do I. So much like, no, no, God couldn't, he couldn't possibly help me as a prize. There's no way that kind of love and joy could be about me. You're wrong, it is. If you are saved in Jesus Christ, the word of God says to you today, I mean, it is, it is sometimes hard to imagine that this is true. That God searched and swept and found me and you and saved us and then rejoiced over us. That's the gospel. But, but I'm such a sinner. I know. I know. So am I. But, I. but me, like I just, I'm a mess. I know. So am I. I know. And yet he delights in us with singing. And he rejoices. And he even calls his friends over and says, look, look, I want to show, show off to you my son, my daughter. And he does that when we're saved and he does that now. It's amazing. That's the gospel. Some of you still saying, oh, that can't, that can't be true. It is. I don't know what else I can say in the name of Jesus Christ. It is. You're saved in him. He rejoices in you. He rejoices in his son in you. He rejoices that he chose you, he called you, he searched for you, he found you, and he has saved you. The father rejoices. Listen, listen. We belong to him. No wonder we sing with such awe and joy and wonder in that beautiful line of that hymn that says, I am his and he is mine. I am his. I belong to the Lord and he belongs to me. I am his and he is mine. So consider the truth we're learning or maybe we're rediscovering. When you were saved, loved ones, the father was filled with an overwhelming joy. Imagine a human parent the way when a child comes into the world. And most of all, first-time parents, you can always hold another child in your arms, but until it's yours, you just don't know what you're in for. And when a child comes into the world and the father and the mother for the first time hugs,
holds the baby and just we know the feeling, the incredible, unexplainable joy and perspective that comes and you're lost for words and tears fill your eyes and the wonder and especially if you are saved in Jesus Christ, you look up to the heavens and just awe and just you're so astounded. How could this be? And the, and the, and the healthy pride that you feel in that moment, the joy that you hold over, over my child has been born. Listen, that is nothing compared to the infinite joy the father feels when his children are born again. Nothing that we feel compared to the Father feels of the infinite, perfect joy and delight and calling for the angels to rejoice as one of his children is born again through the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a joy so powerful the text says to us, we'll get there in a second, it reverberates through the heavens, literally. He says, come, 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 gather, gather. My child, look at my child. Look at my child. But you see, loved ones, God's not done setting joy upon his children yet. That's why the church is still here. Because as a church, we are the most powerful institution in this universe. Because we are called with the greatest message to express the greatest joy that one could ever know. A joy that even the Father himself feels. Here's the truth. When lost sinners are found, this is God's awesome joy. Here's the question, though. If lost sinners being found is God's awesome joy, is it my joy as well? Do I share the same joy as what God feels as seeing the lost saved, as seeing people saved from the clutches and the wrath of God and found in hell? Do I rejoice in the same way in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because notice in the text, the man and the woman, they gather friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me. The, The Pharisees wouldn't do it. The Pharisees weren't rejoicing. They were grumpy. They were miserable because the sinners were being saved. But those who know they are sinners, when they see other sinners being saved, they rejoice, they rejoice, they rejoice, they rejoice. Do we, do we share the same joy? One of the ways we know is the way we pray. Are we praying for our needs alone or do we pray to God that he would save other people, that we might know the joy? Is this our burden like it is God's burden? Are we seeing have our gifts used not for our glory but to see other people saved and the lost being found? I mean, next week in Lord Willing's baptism service, Baptism services are probably one of the favorite things we do in this entire church. Why? Because this church is here that lives would be changed for the glory of God. I live to see lives changed in Jesus Christ. Why? This is what we're called to do. This is why I'm here. This is why it's so hard. This is why even this week and going through the process of preaching, it's just so difficult and you get so destroyed because in the process, it can't be about us anyway. It's just about Jesus Christ and lives being changed. And that's why at the end of last service, some man walk up and said, I've been searching for truth for three years. I need Jesus Christ. Amen. With tears in his eyes and say, do you want to be saved? I do want to be saved. Do you know how to be saved? I do not know how to be saved. Let me tell you. Let him through a prayer in the gospel. And there he was, completely broken. And I believe the Lord Jesus Christ set him free. And he has tears in his eyes. And my heart is overwhelmed with joy. Why? Because this is what it's all about. This is why we're here to see people who are blind and now can see, who cannot hear but now can, who were dead and who are now alive. And so we sit in a baptism service and someone expresses that. I was so dead. I was so lost. I was caught in sin, but Jesus set me free. Hallelujah. And they have tears and they cheer. And we're sitting in the seats and we have tears and we cheer. Why? Of course we should cheer. Because this is why we're here. That God gets glory. This is why our church will be filled with joy. Not a happy, happy, but a joy. This is why we sing for joy in the gospel. Because it's all we have. He's all we have. This is why we gather and get our hands up and get our hearts full. And don't give up and don't give up and don't give up. Because there's too much to live for. It's who we're supposed to be. God finds so much joy when lost sinners are found. 
And the question is, do I, do we? This is the power of the gospel within our church. And listen, this is why we pray this Wednesday at 7 p.m. This is why we pray. There are many of you who are here right now, you've never been to a prayer meeting. I challenge you, would you consider to come? Why? Because if we don't pray, we're dead. We pray to see that others would be saved in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray. Would you right now consider praying about praying? Consider being a part of, no one's going to embarrass you. We have to pray, loved ones. And you know what? The reason some of you are here is because we prayed for you without even knowing you. Or by knowing you. Would you join in the next round by being someone who prays for other people that you love, or total strangers, even across the street right now, that God would bring them, and he would save, and the party in heaven would start, and we could join along in that party with the angels and rejoice that lost sinners are found, lost sinners are found. When it comes to join our text, loved ones, self-righteous pride will kill joy. Lost sinners found is God's joy. And here's the third point. The business of heaven is eternal joy. But here's the question, do I believe? Do I believe? So as we end, look at verse 7 now. Verse 7, Jesus says, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And then in verse 10, he says something similar. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God, amazing, over one sinner who repents. Notice what is common between verses 7 and 10. Notice what's common. A joy is common between the verses. Notice heaven, heaven and angels, angels in heaven is common. Notice sinners is common. Notice repentance is also common. Now verse 7 says that the one who repents is contrasted with the 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. What does that mean? Here's what it does not mean. It does not mean that there exists certain people who do not need to repent to be saved. That would go against the totality of scripture All of Scripture points that repentance is absolutely necessary for salvation. By grace you've been saved through faith. You must confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Repent and be baptized. Repent and be saved. Peter, Jesus, John the Baptist, Paul, all express this. The utter, critical necessity of repentance preceding true conversion. So it doesn't mean that. Nor does it mean people who are already saved... And therefore, repentance is not necessary. And the reason I believe that, because our context involves the Pharisees in verses 1 and 2. Jesus told these parables to explain to the Pharisees where the joy of God is really found. But the Pharisees believed that their righteousness externally was enough to save themselves. So to the Pharisees, true repentance of sin was not needed, so they rejected the Savior in favor of religion. I can make sure this is so clear. Some of you, there's always people every weekend who come, and you have come to church believing that if you are a good person, you get to heaven. You need to know that is absolutely false. Some of you right now, I'm, I'm going to say this five different ways. It's amazing how deceptive this becomes. And you've been in religious circles where you are taught, if you do ABC, then God will see you as such and such, and he will grant you acceptance into glory. That is not true. Some of you believe, if I do good works, if I come to church, because I'm better than that person down there, so surely God will see me. Listen, listen, you have to understand, one sin prevents you from getting into heaven. One sin keeps you out. One. You sin once, 
You've said millions of times, as have I. I'll say it again. If you are here today and you have been taught or you believe that being a good person will get you into the glory of God, you are absolutely going down a path that will lead you not to heaven but to hell. There's not one person who will stand before God and say, I'm good enough to get in. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Pharisees, man, I mean, wow, they, they were so filled with pride and self and religion. All, whole bunch of them, I don't know what happened to them at the end, but a whole bunch of them would stand before God in judgment and they would list off all the rituals they went through, all the little details of their tassels, all the word of God literally on their foreheads and on their arms and it would mean nothing because they are not saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Love when self-righteousness cannot save us. We will never be good enough to save ourselves. If you are here today, I say it one more time. If you are here today and you have been taught that what you do gets you into heaven, you've been taught wrong. That is a wicked lie from the pit of hell. The only way you'll be saved is through the grace that is found in Jesus Christ. And the grace of God is just that. It's grace. You can't earn it. You can't earn it. You respond to grace with love because you've been loved so much. But it's the wonder of the gospel. It's free. It's a gift. It's received how? By faith. By faith. By grace, you have been saved through faith. The Pharisees could not get this through their pride-filled minds. And so where there is not true repentance, there will not be true joy. That is why they were so miserable all the time. Verse 7 is very comparable to Luke 5. I'll read it for you. Jesus said, those who are well have no need of a physician or a doctor, but those who are sick do. See that? Jesus says, I have not come to call the righteous. I have not come to call those who don't think they need me. I have come to call sinners to repentance. I have come for those who are humble enough to say, I am a sinner, I have sinned, and I need a Savior. And maybe you are just like that man in the previous service, and you are here, and you've been searching for truth. You are hearing the truth right now. And maybe, just maybe, you are finding out right now that the Lord is still sweeping, and He's sweeping for you. And through this service right now, listen, He's sweeping because He wants to find joy, and He wants to place His joy in you. We heard today that the joy of heaven is when the joy of God becomes the joy in us. We have heard today that Jesus says these things I've spoken to you. And I love this. Right now, God has swept some of you in this place. Because he will not give up. Because he has chosen you before the foundation of the world. And he is searching for you. And he is sweeping right now. And Jesus said these things I've spoken to you. That my joy might be in you. And your joy might be full. Could it be that today's your day? Could it be that right now. And you know it. The Lord is upon you. And you're done running. And you give up. And you say, Jesus Christ, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. And listen, here's the beauty of this. The moment you are found, the moment you confess your sins in Jesus Christ and you are saved, is the moment God himself throws a party in your favor and your honor and your name. And the angels of God rejoice. And the joy goes through the heavens. And the joy of God continues to be upon you over and over and will be completed in the day that Jesus Christ turns back. All because the Lord God would not give up on you. All because the Lord God continues to sweep and find and search to save because he loves you so much. Isn't the gospel enough for us right now to say, wow God, wow God, who are we? Isn't the gospel enough for us to say, wow God, your joy, may your joy become our joy. Loved ones, if joy is the business of heaven. Let's give heaven our business. Amen? The business of heaven 
may be seen, seen and found in us. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, right now you are sweeping. You have lit a lamp and you're sweeping that house and you will find that coin. You will, Lord, it's guaranteed. And when you do, you will rejoice. And you will call your friends and neighbors and say, rejoice with me, rejoice with me. I found my sheep, I found my coin. Rejoice with me and the angels will rejoice and the Lord rejoices, the Father rejoices, Jesus rejoices, the Spirit of God rejoices. And I pray the church would rejoice as well. And I pray even now, Lord, all the opposition to these services, all the fight, Lord, to get to this point is so worth it as we speak of you and love you and declare you are so good. And so, God, I pray, even, even, even the individuals in this room right now who struggle to say, could it be that God would rejoice over someone like me? They struggle, Lord, to believe they are worthy. Lord, help us to believe it's not from what we have done, but it's because of the grace of God, the gospel of Jesus. Yes, Lord, you do rejoice in us. And you do rejoice over us with singing. How beautiful is that? Would you set people free even right now, Lord? Would you sweep for those who are lost and be found for the first time? But would you also, would you are sweeping for those who have become distant, who have found their way away from you, but now you are calling them back. And you are sweeping to find them, to say, my child, come near, come near, come near. Don't you go anywhere. You're mine. I've got you. I love you. Would you draw those so close to you now, Lord? Every heart you know, every story you could tell, every detail is yours. Thank you. Thank you for this, Lord. The joy of God over us, I pray, would be the joy of God seen in us. And I pray this will be true for this church. I pray this will be true in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.